Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Reality TV and Me. I'm your host, Kirsty, and today I am joined with a Real Housewives super fan and astrologist to the stars as of today, <laughs> Andy Velati. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to get into all of this. Oh my God, if we can get some insight on these crazy bitches, it will be <laughs> so rewarding. <laughs> well, the stars have plenty to say about all of them, so I'm, I'm happy oh. to spill that. Spill the astrological tea. Yes! <laughs> I'm so excited. So who should we start with? I mean, we like it's depressing that we have to say goodbye to Vicky, but at least we can talk a little bit about her. Uh, by breaking down her chart, should we just get into the Vicky of it all? Yeah, and especially since, I mean, I know that she's not, a, you know, a, a cast member, but she's still a friend of the Housewives, yeah. right? And she'll still be showing up, so so why not? Um, so one thing I do want to, just before we start on all these charts, that I do want to say sure. is that, um, so with astrology, to do a full chart reading, what you need is the, the date of birth and then the time and the place, because the time and the place gives you some additional details. Now, with all these housewives, I only have their dates. You know, I, I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't calling the hospitals where they were born and, and trying to get birth certificates. What? <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Um, so most of these things that I'm going to talk about, basically, with their charts, I can see about 75% of what I normally would. So there's going to be a few things that, I, that I'm not seeing in the chart because I don't have the time. Sure. But with the date alone, we can still flesh out quite a bit. So I just wanted to, to point that out there. Yeah. And with that, as I've always wanted to do this, uh, get my chart done, but I've never known, like, do you need the exact minute to minute that you were born? Ideally, yes. And the reason why is because um, in astrology, your chart gets divided into 12 sectors, which are called houses. And the house placements are very, very important for analysis. And every four minutes, those houses, the position of the houses shifts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. So, even, so even if you give me like a time of birth that is off by 45 minutes, which might not seem like a lot, but that in astrology is a huge time difference. So yeah, if you're going to get your chart right, you need to know your time exactly. Otherwise, it's just not going to be as accurate. Wow, that's so fast. It's like, it's so scientific when you break it down like that, isn't it? Absolutely. Because, you know, people think that, um, and I understand why, but that astrology is just about reading your horoscope in a newspaper. And it really right. isn't. <laughs> it really isn't. Because um, your birth chart truly is unique to you. Um, somebody who was born the same day as you, but an hour later, different chart. Somebody who was born wow. the same date and time as you, but three time zones away, different chart. So when you are able to do a birth chart, it's not just about your sun sign. It's about your Venus and your Mars and Mercury and Saturn and so on and so forth. So you get some really, really detailed information. That's so interesting. So what if, so when you read it with the places in particular, so I was born in the UK, but moved to Australia as a baby, would then, would that kind of screw up how it's read or you just read it from the UK, that place and time? Yeah, you read it from where you were born because the place where you were born does have that um, 
astrological blueprint that always stays. But what does happen is that when you get into, for example, looking at the year ahead for somebody, you do what's called a solar return chart that talks about some of the themes that will pop up in the coming year. And when you do a solar return chart, you do it for the place where you currently live. So in that case, okay. for you, I would do a solar return chart based in, uh, you're in Melbourne, Melbourne. correct? Melbourne, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in that, so in that case, the location where you live does come into play for that kind of chart. Wow, it's so fascinating. And you've been doing this for 17 years. Correct, yeah. So I started reading charts in 2002, but it wasn't until this year, uh, six months ago, February, that I officially launched it as my primary business. Prior to that, I was working other jobs and I was doing this on the side, but uh, I love doing it and people have told me I do it very well. And so I decided to, uh, you know, take the plunge and and go for it full time. So what ended up getting you into astrology in the first place? It was a bit of a journey. So I grew up in a household where uh, I remember being young and there were always astrology books in the household. So by the time that I was six or seven, I knew that I was a Gemini, for example. And then when I was 14 for my birthday, uh, my gift from my parents was an actual astrological reading with an astrologer. And that was my first exposure to, oh, wow, I actually have a full chart. And she's talking about my moon and Pluto and the houses and all this stuff. And then around when I was 18, 19, I went to college. And that's when I started um, from my own self, just learning more about astrology and going beyond my sun sign. And then I you know, started hooking up with kind of mentors online. And then I started r- doing charts because the best way to practice by, is by actually reading charts. Now, at the right. very beginning, when I wasn't as experienced, I wasn't even charging for them. It was more of, you know, I need this practice. practice. Yeah. Totally. But now, you know, 17 years later, I would say that I've read, I mean, well over a thousand charts in the past wow. 17 years. So, and then you start, you know, astrology is interesting as a field because there's so much to it because, you know, you learn one thing and then you realize, oh, there's 25 other things to learn. So it's, yeah. it's quite a lot of information. <laughs> oh, I hate that. It's like, it's like <laughs> the epitome of learning. You know, every time you sort of scrape the surface on one area, you are just open up Pandora's box and you have a thousand more things to learn. <laughs> yeah, completely. That's exactly how it is. And, and even to this day, I think, every, I think every good astrologer is always learning. So even to this day, there's always things that I'm still learning and reading about and and incorporating into my practice. So um, I love that. That is so cool. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So more importantly than your lifelong career, what got you into the housewives? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what it was? Okay, so back in 2000, okay, so I used to, I right now live in Las Vegas. I've been here for seven, seven, seven and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Seven and a half years. Um, but I lived in New York for 10 years. Ah. And when Real Housewives of New York started, because I lived there, I got yeah. really into it. And I lived two blocks away from, there's a throwback from the archives, but mm-hmm. I lived two blocks away from Alex McCord, who I oh think now in Australia. Oh my God, a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and Simon, and but I'll bring the diamonds. Yeah, he's Australian. <laughs> um, yeah, and, oh, 
I don't know why. Every time I watch like Potomac at the moment, there's an Australian guy on it, and they're always the Michael. worst representations. Yes, Michael of of my people. <laughs> <laughs> Let my people go. It's not. It, that's just not us. But maybe it is. I mean. Well, the good thing is that I I knew I had Australian friends well before um, Simon cool. came into my life through TV. So it's it's all good. Um, oh, thank God! You weren't scared off. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I mean, because you know, especially this is back when, like, when season two and season three of New York were airing. Um, I would go to the subway stop to go to work and there would be Simon at, on the subway platform getting on the same subway as me. It was very, oh, it was very God. fun. I love that. And then uh, he's wearing like a million dollar dress. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And then, so I got really into New York and then that led to all the others. And then I started watching Orange, um, Orange County around season four. Yeah, me too. That's when I, I got really into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's get into some Orange County breakdowns then. So who yeah. have you got for us? You were going to do three or four of our gals? Yeah. So we're going to talk about Vicky, Shannon, Kelly, and Tamara. Amazing. And then as a, as a little bonus at the end, we're going to talk about the relationship between the astrological relationship between Vicky and Kelly. That's going to be brilliant. So, sh- shall we? Yes, but you can decide who goes first. I know I sort of led you to Vicky, but if you have a, a favorite that you want to start with, take it away. We can start with Vicky. That's fine. Okay, okay. So, so one thing is that in astrology, we have 12 signs, and there's four elements, air, earth, water, and fire. And the first thing I do when I look at a chart, before I even look at where the planets are, is I see... Um, the elemental balance or lack thereof. And not surprisingly, most of these women do not have balanced <laughs> astrological charts. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you don't say. Um, so in, in Vicky's case, her chart is very heavy in the, in the element of fire. And the element of fire is impulsive and brash and blunt and highly energetic and very passionate. So we have somebody, not surprisingly, who has, you know, already that kind of quality in her chart. Um, oh my God, I think I'm Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid that I'm just going to be like, you're going to keep opening this again, Pandora's box. And I'm just going to be like, oh shit, I knew I related to her, but <laughs> I, I don't want to be Vicky. <laughs> well, after we're done, you'll you, you have to tell me your, your birth info okay. and, and we'll take a look at, at your stuff. That'd be so Vicky is an Aries. Uh, so her son is an Aries. And so in astrology, your son is your sense of self, uh, kind of the, the heart of your being, your vitality, your purpose. And when somebody has their son in Aries, um, there's something about being a pioneer that's very important to them. They're very brave and they have no problem going um, following their own path and doing their own thing. So for somebody who has an airy son like her and so much fire, the fact that she is her own boss mm-hmm. is probably the best thing possible because it, it can be very hard for these people to, to uh, follow authority or let somebody else call the shots. Right. That makes sense. Um, now, her son, and then <clears throat> apart from the, um, where the sun is located as far as the sign, in astrology, it's very important to look at 
what are called the aspects. And the aspects are how the planets are communicating with each other. In Vicky's case, she has uh, an aspect known as a quincunx, which means that planets are about 150 degrees away from each other. And she has this, her son, quincunx, the planet Pluto. And this is a very, very big deal. Anytime I see a Pluto aspect in a chart, I pay a lot of attention because okay. Pluto is about um, control, transformation, um, death and rebirth, meaning metaphorical death, mm -hmm. um, crisis, survival, power struggles, secrets. And the quincunx is an aspect that shows that things are not in balance. So when you have a quincunx in your chart, there's going to be themes that are going to keep coming up until you finally learn the lesson. And when the sun is quincunx Pluto, you have somebody who has a tendency to either, um, to either be and want to be in full control of somebody else and control other people's lives, or <laughs> they're on the opposite side where they're completely powerless and they keep oscillating between both extremes and their lesson is to wow. learn healthy balance. Oh my God. Well, that is Vicky in a nutshell. I mean, <laughs> she is completely totally. powerless in that relationship with Brooks, but then wants to control all of and the women. That yep. is amazing. Yeah. And that Pluto, and also, you know, a lot of times when you have Pluto quincunx the sun, it usually points to a family dynamic and a childhood where the father um, kind of like ruled with an iron fist or was very controlling. And what ends up happening is that if we don't address that when we become adults, we end up replicating that dynamic ourselves, either by taking on the role of the controller or kind of playing victim to somebody else who, who controls the, the puppet strings, if you will. Well, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, so when I saw That's that, crazy. I thought that was very, very interesting. And the, and the cool thing, by the way, because somebody says like, well, you know, he's watched The Housewives, so he knows. Well, the cool thing about astrology is that you can show this chart, Vicky's chart, to any astrologer, not tell them who it is, and that Pluto aspect will tell them the same thing. So wow. although, you know, every astrologer maybe has their own little take on things, one nice thing about it is that the principles of astrology apply globally to everybody. Yeah, so the facts are the facts, and then it's your interpretation of that. I guess, like... Like, uh, I guess, like card reading, I guess, people like the same cards could come up, but everyone's going to read it slightly differently. Exactly. But without a doubt, any astrologer who sees Pluto Sun out of balance will talk about power struggles, control, the father figure, everybody. Um, so there's that. And one other thing I want to say with astrology is that your birth chart is like a blueprint, but it is a living, breathing organism in the sense that these are the things that you bring into that you bring with you when you are born. But the idea is that as you go through life and have experiences and insight, some of these things should be getting easier. But then again, if you, if you choose to not acknowledge them, they're going to keep popping up. But it's mm -hmm. not so much that you're doomed to something. It's more like you're more prone to it. But if you're aware of it, you can actually help to soften it and not have it be as problematic. That's a nice way to think of it because it, it would feel like, I imagine for somebody with these traits that, I mean, I couldn't possibly relate to, that you would feel <laughs> like you're a little bit doomed to be repeating these horrible old patterns again and again. 
But it's, I like your interpretation that you can sort of soften it a little bit and just be aware that that's part of your persona, I suppose. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if, if somebody um, tells you to be careful because, you know, careful because there's a step that you can't see over there and you might fall. Mm. Well, the step is always going to be there. But if you're aware of it, then you can go around it and not be hurt by it. But it's about that's why astrology is so helpful, because it gives you the awareness. So you don't so you at least try to consciously not go into a, a situation that could be problematic. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and so go ahead. I was just going to say, I, um, I was a yoga teacher for a long time and I studied the Yoga Sutras, which is mm. a manuscript about a yoga philosophy. And it's, they, they talk a lot about what you're saying about um, those repeated um, things, you're, like I don't want to say mistakes, but those repeated like things that keep coming up and coming up until you start changing your actions and behaviours toward them. Um, or facing yes. them or, you know, growing from that experience. When you don't grow, you'll just have that same experience again. So, yeah, it's interesting that that, that kind of overlaps. Yeah, and that's one another thing, too, that a lot of these kind of belief systems or philosophies toward life, <clears throat> they start um, having a lot of the same principles come up, which I also think is pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, so, so that was, like, one of the main things in Vicky's chart. She also has... You know, she, she has what I call a very Plutonic chart, meaning that her Pluto is involved in a lot of aspects. And Pluto, you know, th there's no good planet or bad planet. Every planet has its positives and negatives. So on the, on the positive side, when you have a lot of Pluto in your chart, you have a lot of capacity to regenerate and to come back from the ashes and to, you know, keep going no matter what. But the thing to watch is with Pluto, this whole thing about power struggles and control, um, because she also has Pluto opposing her Mars. And Mars in astrology <clears throat> represents assertion and action and um, our drive to want to succeed, um, our energy, our vitality. And so <clears throat> when you have Pluto opposing your Mars, number one, it makes you very competitive because Pluto intensifies whatever planet it comes into contact with. Right. Um, it also makes you a bit of like a bull, a bull in a china shop, because <laughs> Mars is like the gas pedal and the match that you light. And Pluto okay. in astrology <laughs> rules things like nuclear power. It's super intense. Oh my so God. <laughs> yeah. Explosion. Absolutely. When you have these two coming together, you have somebody who needs to definitely have an outlet for their anger because if they don't it's a very explosive well i mean we saw the many times that she has screamed at the <laughs> top of her head. <laughs> yeah that would be pluto mars uh, not being exercised in a healthy way <laughs> sorry if i just burst your eardrum <laughs> and again there's usually another indication that in the childhood I think that in Vicky's childhood, there was a lot of instances where she felt like she couldn't express herself or she was, um, or somebody had a lot of power over her and a lot of authority over her. And now as an adult, she's kind of, you know, exploring her own power because I, there's another indication that you're, when your Mars is opposed by Pluto, it means that when you were first growing up, your, your desires and your action energy was somehow thwarted by somebody who had more power than you. So, so there's that. Um, now, she does have her planet Venus. So she has Venus and Aries. Um, 
Aries is ruled by Mars. So Aries is a fire sign, just like her sun sign. Um, you know, Aries is all about being very dynamic and very energetic. And Venus is um, love and romance. So people who have Venus and Aries tend to fall for people very, very quickly. They can also fall out of love just as quickly, but they're very impulsive with romance. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and get this, it is also interesting because her Venus forms what's called a trine to her moon. So a trine is a 120 degree angle and a trine is two planets getting along working together and speaking the same language. So here we have Venus, which is how we express love, getting along with the moon. The moon is very nurturing. The moon is motherly. And so when you have somebody who has the moon trine Venus, the way they show love is by nurturing other people, by kind of playing the role of the mother, which I think we saw very much with Brooks, for example. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's the thing about the chart that, you have so you have this whole thing about control that's very that she has to address but then when it comes to her personal relationships romantic relationships you see a much softer side of her which she has to watch because when the moon is involved with venus with venus yes it's very kind and very caring but you also need to watch kind of who you do that with otherwise as we saw mm -hmm. people can take advantage wow yeah well, that's Vicky. Hey, that's amazing. Yeah, I've, I mean, sorry, go on. No, no, no go, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to talk some random shit. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and just to wrap up her chart, looking ahead. So, um, you know, right now, Vicky's Venus is under a lot of aspects by, by the planets transiting. What I mean by that is where the planets are right now are all affecting where her Venus was when she was born. So she has Pluto square Venus, Saturn square Venus, and Jupiter trine Venus. What that essentially means is that the next year for her is gonna be very transformative for her finances and for her romantic relationship. And there's gonna be a few hiccups and obstacles, but if her current relationship um, survives the next six to eight months, it'll strengthen significantly and really go to another level. But there's gonna be a few times in the next six to eight months where romantically things will be challenged or tested. Um, and that's where the free will aspect of astrology comes in because it's not like I can see a breakup or see anything like that. I can just see times when things will come under scrutiny, mm -hmm. but they can either you know, um, pass with flying colors and become even better, or anything that isn't working out will come to the surface and need to be addressed. Well, I mean, she's engaged now. So, I mean, wedding planning is always very stressful. Mm. So that could be a few little bumps in the road. I mean, hopefully they make it to, to the wedding day. <laughs> I have no idea when it is, but <laughs> I'm assuming uh, within the next eight months. So I'll just keep an eye on how things are progressing there, I suppose. Yeah. So let's see what happens between now and March with her and, and um, her fiancé. Okay, that's great. Well, there's Vicky. Wow, that was dead on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love doing the charts because, you know, um, knowing, well, of course, knowing what I only see on TV, I don't know these women personally, but just based on what you see on TV, it's amazing how, you know, the chart really does reflect every, everything we, we know. Yeah, that's brilliant. 
Okay, let's go to Shannon. Okay, Shannon. All right. So Shannon, so Shannon is also an Aries, just like Vicky, but they have totally different charts. Right. And the one thing that struck me about Shannon's, well, there's a lot about Shannon's chart, actually, that I want to talk about. So again, not the most balanced. Now, unlike Vicky, who <laughs> had a lot of fire energy, Shannon's chart is very heavy on water and it's lacking air. And here's what that means. So the water element has to do with emotions. Uh, the water element is, um, has to do with Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. And uh, even though she's not any of those signs, but she has a lot of planets in those signs. And when you have somebody who has a lot of water, there's a lot of sentimentality and they're very emotion-centered and emotion-driven. And furthermore, the lack of air is also important here because the air element is about being able to adapt and adjust and detach. Mm. And because that is missing and there's so much water, Shannon's chart is one that there's a tendency to really hold on to things way longer than they're supposed to be held on to and a real inability to let go. Oh my God. This is so, like, I'm literally like, I feel shamed of myself because I'm a Scorpio and like, I am so that person. I just will yep. like suck the life out of something. <laughs> oh God. I'm just like, I mean, I know it's about the women, but everything's about me because once again, I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> So I'm just like, oh my God, I need to like hide in my jumper right now while you go on. <laughs> and this shows you why, the, why having a chart is so important because, you know, Vicky and Shannon are both Aries, but their charts are so different. So it's like, yeah, yeah they have, they have that common element of that Aries sun that can be impulsive and, and dramatic at times, but then everything else in the chart, you know, paints a different picture of everything else. Um, yeah, so, so the lack of air, really like always just rely on your sun sign there's a lot more to it i always tell people the sun sign is like 140th of it's like if you had a puzzle that had 40 pieces and i just gave you one piece right okay it's like well okay that kind of gives me an idea but i need the other 39 to know what i'm yeah. looking at you know um okay so um oh one thing i didn't talk about vicky's chart i'll talk about briefly the moon so the moon represent our emotional needs. And Vicky has a moon in Sagittarius. The moon in Sagittarius is all about freedom. They need to be free. They need to explore. Um, and they need to, and there's also a sense of, they need to um, always be expanding and ex expanding their world and just kind of, you know, achieving more and more. Mm -hmm. Shannon's moon is in Virgo. And the Virgo moon craves order. The, the Virgo moon is all about, you know, like checklists and details and everything has its place and don't take it out of that place because then I get really stressed out because I have to be organized and they can be very OCD. Right. Um, that's the Virgo moon to a T. Um, now they're very good with details. The Virgo moon is the kind of moon that they'll walk into a room and there's a teeny tiny stain on a wall that nobody has seen, but the Virgo moon will zone in on it and notice <laughs> that something is out of place. That's the Virgo moon to a T. Uh, now they're also chronic worriers. So the Virgo moon needs to calm down because they're very <laughs> psychosomatic. Totally, they're very psychosomatic also. So many times people with Virgo moons 
they tend to, whenever they're nervous or anxious, it all goes through their stomach. They get indigestion or they overeat. Um, right. But, mm -hmm. so that was very interesting. So yeah. she has that. Now, her moon is involved in a lot of aspects. In fact, she has a very challenged moon. And what I mean by that is that it's being, it's involved in a lot of intense aspects. And usually when your moon is very challenged, it means that emotionally there's a lot of work that you need to do in order to, to feel stable and balanced. Wow. So she has her moon conjunct Uranus and conjunct means that two things in the sky are right next to each other. Okay. And so the moon, as we talked about, is, you know, emotions and feelings. And Uranus is the great rebellious planet. Uranus is about um, change, sudden change. And it rules lightning and electricity and earthquakes. And it's very um, unconventional and radical. <laughs> exactly. So a few things there. One is that Usually it makes for somebody who emotionally has very intense highs and lows. Very intense. Yeah, um, we've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Also, because the moon rules the mother, a lot of times you see this placement with somebody who had a childhood where the mother was not stable. The mother was not always there. The mother was hot and cold. And so they grew up in this dynamic where emotions were very unstable. They could mm -hmm. not rely emotionally on the, on the mother figure. And so then they start doubting their own emotions because the, the, whole world, the whole realm of emotions is very unstable in the home. Yeah. Do we know anything about Shannon's mom? I'm trying to think back, but I can't. Nothing's sort of clicking. I was trying to think also, and I couldn't remember anything. And so yeah, it just surprised me because... Maybe she doesn't have a very close relationship with her mother. Yeah. I remember we've seen um, her ex's David's uh, mom, mother. David's mom, um, and they had a strange <laughs> relationship, but I can't think of anything with um, Shannon's mom personally. But yeah. that'd be interesting to, to have a look into at some point. She also has her moon conjunct, again, right next to Pluto. And again, as a reminder, you know, Pluto is very, Pluto is very intense, very controlling, and it, it's possessive as well. So the moon being emotions, when it's very close to Pluto, it makes for somebody who has very intense emotional needs. They can be <laughs> almost vampirical in the sense that... Wait, is the vampirical a vampire? <laughs> Yes, emotional, emotional vampire. Oh, in the yeah. sense that, yeah, they can, when the moon is conjunct Pluto, now, if it's very carefully navigated, it can make for somebody who, um, you know, is very loyal and who, um, you know, is always there for their friends. But at some point, especially maybe when they're younger, the moon Pluto person has to learn boundaries because they can very easily want want to um, consume whoever they're with and know their every move and that person has to fulfill all their needs and it becomes this very very intense thing um, that they have to watch and what they usually have to learn is boundaries and understand that people they have to let people be who they are yeah that's the lesson well, we they saw that with um the relationship between Tamra and Shannon and Tamra just kind of being 
completely drained. She had nothing more to to give Shannon when she was grieving her relationship breakdown. And, you know, the she would call her in the middle of the night needing support. I mean, that's, yeah, that's that. What is the word? Vampirical. That's my new favorite yes. word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so moon Pluto. And, um, you know, and moon Pluto has a lot of emotional needs. So there's somebody who, uh, you know, does best in a relationship where those needs can be met, but they also need to learn that they can't put all their emotional expectations on just one person. They need to learn how to be more self-sufficient. That's one of the things that they need to learn. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then she also has, that's what I'm saying, a very challenged moon, the moon opposite Saturn. And this is a, a tricky one because, again, the moon being, you know, our emotions, our emotional world, um, our subconscious, our sense of security. Saturn, when it's by opposition, 180 degrees away, um, we see it's more frigid side. So when Saturn is more supportive, it's a different story. But Saturn by opposition, we see uh, repression. We see mm. um, obstacles and blockages. So when, when the moon is opposite Saturn, there's usually an issue there where, again, growing up, their emotions were repressed. Either if they expressed emotion it wasn't met with any kind of compassion mm -hmm. or maybe they weren't in a family dynamic where, where somebody else had a lot of emotional needs. So theirs couldn't be met. But as a result of that, what this person needs to learn, because again, when I do astrology readings, I try to be prescriptive and give advice. Somebody right. with the moon opposite Saturn needs to learn how to verbalize their needs because there can be a thing here where they just expect people to know what they need. And it's like, no, you need to verbalize what you need. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so that, so again, you know, she, she has a lot going on. And then the final aspect with her moon, she has her moon quincunx the sun. Again, a quincunx, things are not balanced. And so here we have the want, which is the sun, and the needs, which is the moon, being out of sorts. And there's a push and a pull that this person feels between being their, being who they want to be and standing on their own and being codependent. Right. That well, that's is Shannon. Absolutely. So she's somebody who needs to, again, my hope is that as she goes through life, these things are being sorted out. But um, learning that balance, that it's not a matter of, you know, being totally alone or being totally dependent on somebody she needs to learn that that emotional middle because there is a chart that is very prone to i'm either a hundred percent over here or a hundred percent over there yep that is like i mean i'm being very quiet because i want to like soak up every word you're saying because i'm literally <laughs> i'm kind of in an aha moment at the moment like i'm just <laughs> I need, I'm just desperate to have my chart done now because I'm just like, oh my God, I have so much to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And it's so two, fascinating. Yeah, and then just two more things about Shannon's chart and then we'll move on. Um, she also, I, I got to tell you, like I said, I've done a ton of charts. I would have to say that Shannon's chart is probably in the top 10% of um, the most challenged charts 
And again, not to say that nobody, because nobody is doomed, but if she were a client of mine, number one, I'd probably want to check in with her once a year to do like a follow-up. And there'll be a lot of things, and you know, and this is the kind of thing where I am not, I am not a therapist. I don't try to be one, but a lot of times when I do charts for people, if I see a lot of challenges, I highly encourage therapy because there's a lot of potential here for things to go unaddressed that can that could always end up sabotaging you because they're blind spots. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and so in light of that, what's happening in Shannon's chart too is that she has uh, Venus opposing uh, Neptune. So again, Venus is our love energy. And whereas Vicky had it in Aries, um, Shannon has it in Taurus. So Taurus is all about the five senses. So usually Venus and Taurus, they like... Uh, massages, they like physical contact, they like um, certain smells. There's something um, about romance and food, because Taurus is about food, um, you know, like really exploring all the senses. Um, now, she has Venus opposite Neptune, and this is a huge red flag that I like to tell my clients about, because Neptune, by opposition, we see its more negative side. Neptune as a whole is a planet that's about imagination and fantasy and dreams and idealism and romance and, um, you know, spirituality and transcending. But so when it's far, like, so good. <laughs> and it's gonna take, I said it's so far so good, but I hear, feel like there's a butt coming. Right. So that's Neptune if it's, if it's trining and being cooperative. Okay. But when it's opposing, we see it's, it's more negative side, which is escapism, disillusionment, um, dishonesty, um, uh, scams, you know, like falling for people. Yeah, right. Scams. Neptune yeah. by... Op- Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, oh my God. <laughs> it's just so, so intense. Yeah, Neptune by opposition is like an optical illusion where it's like what you see is not what you get. Ah. Yeah, so when you have Venus, which is your your love dynamic and your love archetype opposing Neptune, what you have to watch is a tendency to idealize people and to not see them for how they really are, which then is going to obviously lead to massive disappointments. Yeah. Um, somebody who has Venus opposite Neptune, what they have to learn is to see, to understand that everybody is flawed and that's okay. They have to let go of the fairy tale because Venus opposite Neptune can be always looking for the fairy tale and they'll oftentimes wear, you know, rosy colored glasses and want to see things that are not there. And then at some point, the glasses come off and they suddenly realize that maybe they see, they feel they've been lied to, but yeah. the reality is they haven't been lied to. They've been telling themselves a fairy tale that isn't true. Oh my God. I actually, like, I, <laughs> I just need to take a breath because <laughs> I remember I've, um, I have had struggled, my listeners know I've struggled with addiction in the past and I, and love addiction was a big part of that. And I mean, I, I don't know whether or not my chart says that, but you know, who knows, but it just is singing so loud to me. I mean, I remember speaking to a psychologist while I was in rehab and he's like, I was obsessing with some guy, um, at the time and just like everything I said, like he was on a pedestal and he was basically like a God to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hadn't known him very long 
And I just like completely, like you were saying, idealized this guy. And, um, and my psychologist was just like, just a bloke, like just a guy. (laughs) And I'm like, like, it could not, it made me laugh, but I was also like, you don't know him. He's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously he was not, and he's not any longer in my life, but it was just like, like it's so bizarre now. It took me, it was really like weaning off an addiction to wean myself off that fantasy that you're talking about. And I literally would do like a countdown, like day counter in my phone to be like, all right, I haven't, you know, contacted him in this long, you know, I haven't done, you know, it like checked my old messages or looked at photos. And it was really, it took a, a good year for me now to be like, oh yeah, he was just a bloke and like not a great one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Neptune is the planet that rules addiction. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That is and interesting. in fact, a lot of... And a lot of times when I've done charts, um, people, even people who may not have um, in their birth chart a strong Neptune aspect, what happens is that when Neptune by transit squares your Venus or opposes your sun, it's a time when you're more prone to an addiction. And I've seen it happen a lot of times when I do charts, where when Neptune is by transit doing something to your chart, which is a time you're supposed to be learning vulnerability. Most yeah. people don't. They want to escape. And yeah. that's when addictions tend to form. So very interesting that you say that. Wow. <laughs> this is mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> uh, all right. So we move to Kelly. Yes, Kelly. Oh, this is good. See, this is the housewife I probably always thought I related to the most. But now I'm like, well, I'm Shannon. I'm Vicky. I'm, <laughs> I'm all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Go An ahead. Amalgamation of all the housewives. Yeah, that's which um, is a very, very scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Kelly again, um, unbalanced elements. Um, <laughs> Kelly's chart is very high in air. So Shannon had no air. Kelly has a ton of air. She has the moon. Sorry, she has yeah, the sun, the moon, Mercury, Pluto, and Mars all in air signs. And again, air signs are, you know, they detach, they're very adaptable. So when you have somebody with a lot of air, it's somebody who um, has a hard time with stability and actually seeing things through, especially since her chart has no earth at all. There's nothing in the earth uh, signs. And the earth element is about stability and, you know, and kind of sticking with things and follow through and seeing things to the end. She has a lot of air and a lot of fire, so a very volatile chart for starters. Um, So she has her sun in Libra and her moon in Gemini, which means that there's a lot of duality here. Um, There is kind of like a a light Kelly and a shadow Kelly that are constantly coming up for air, and you either get one or the other. (laughs) We see that with her, don't we? She's either screaming at someone or she's genuinely um uh, she can like apologize and you believe her it's not like Teresa where everything's kind of surface level (laughs) or fake you know like with Kelly when she apologizes or when she's having fun I believe her but she is a terrifying person because she's so changeable and and like you say volatile yeah and that's all the air and especially with that moon in Gemini you know the moon being about her emotional needs um with her moon in Gemini there's a emotional need for change and for things to always be shifting. Um, she 
the moon in Gemini is bored very easily, very restless. That's what, mm. that's what I wanted to say. It can be a very restless moon. So anybody who is in a close relationship with Kelly, because people who know us really well know us through our moon sign. That's the, oh, most, okay. that's the most kind of sacred part of us that we show to a few people. So she's somebody who's very easily bored and needs a lot of activity to keep her interested. <laughs> yeah, I can um, see that. Now, she has her son conjunct Pluto. So another very Plutonic chart. And yes. when the sun is conjunct Pluto, you have somebody who, again, usually has some kind of issues with power that need to be resolved. They like to have all the power. And they have a very hard time giving it up. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's usually again with Pluto conjunct the sun you usually have a father figure who left a very significant imprint either because they were unavailable or because they were such tyrants that they ruled through fear I can't remember uh. do we know Kelly's father I don't know I'll, I'm gonna google while you keep talking and see if I can find anything about her dad Kelly yeah because yeah, because with the with that Pluto, anytime I see the Pluto, sorry, the Sun and Pluto together, I, I always ask my client, "Your relationship with your father left a huge imprint, and it's usually not a very positive one. It's usually one where there's a lot of there can be a lot of resentment. Which again, as you get older, you can work through it absolutely, but that's the starting point. Oh, this is what I've found. Like, this is the heading. Like father, like daughter. OC housewife Kelly Dodd's dad once charged with assault. Oh, so well, there that's we go. just on first, on first Google, but <laughs> perhaps he wasn't the gentlest of men. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's amazing how whenever Pluto is there. But, you know, I've got to tell you, one, one positive thing about Kelly's chart, unlike, say, Shannon's chart, is that Kelly's chart has a lot more um, harmonious aspects. So usually when you see like the sun conjunct Pluto, and then she has, for example, her sun trining the moon and trining Mars, um, sorry, uh, sexiling Saturn, um, is that these are people who are able to regenerate and to get past things much more uh -huh. easily than somebody who has a more challenged chart. So even though it looks like Kelly probably had a very tumultuous childhood, there's something here about her being able to, to move past that more easily than if somebody had a more challenged son or a more challenged chart in general. I remember thinking that when she was going through her divorce or separation from her husband, I remember thinking like, yeah, she obviously had a couple of meltdowns because who wouldn't? It's a horrible thing to go through when you've been with someone. I think it was 12 years they were together. But she kind of pulled herself up pretty quickly and got on with things. And she's out there dating and she seems like she's enjoying her life. You know, like that's, that's pretty, that was a pretty quick turnaround, I thought, anyway. But I'm one to wallow for a long time. <laughs> Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing about Pluto, that when Pluto is more positively aspected, as it is in Kelly's chart, Pluto is the ultimate planet of resilience. So when you have a very strong Pluto, even though you've gone through a lot of heavy stuff, you also have a very resilient side to you. Um, so there's that. And what also helps her chart to kind of mitigate some of the heaviness that she has her moon, sorry, she has Venus trining Jupiter. So again, trining is 
uh, harmonious. Venus is our capacity to love. And Jupiter is the planet of, of benevolence. Jupiter is also the planet of luck, like, you know, being at the right place at the right time, having opportunities, good fortune, abundance, um, confidence as well. well yeah. <laughs> now, well, so Jupiter is, so yes, Jupiter is, is very benevolent. And usually if Jupiter is very active by transit, there's a lot of opportunities and new starts and expansion. But Jupiter is also like a magnifying glass. It expands anything it touches. So if it touches something good, it totally expands it. Mm. But, if it ex but if it touches something, like say that you have an aspect in your chart about jealousy, when Jupiter comes around, it blows that up as well. Right, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it kind of, it has its positive and negative. But um, this Venus-Jupiter trine also means that when it comes to things like finances and romance, Kelly has a tendency to just fall into things to good things kind of very easily. And if something doesn't work out, she manages to make it work or find something else that works. And she doesn't get stuck in mm. kind of like in um, like stuck in the mud, which is something that you see more in Shannon's chart. Yeah, I was just going to say comparatively, you can definitely see that with Shannon. Well, think about this. Shannon's chart is very heavy in earth and water. And if you combine earth and right. water, you get mud. Yeah, yeah. So life right? is a slog, kind of just, she's just, I can just imagine her just kind of slogging through that, like drowning as well with the, all that water and lack of air. Whereas I look at Kelly right. and it's sort of like, I wouldn't ever think that she's like, she's kind of head in the clouds, but she's, she can have that really beautiful light bubbly, fun side to her personality. Absolutely. The thing she has to watch because she has her moon opposite Neptune. So the moon is emotions and Neptune by opposition dissolves and clouds. So she has to watch when you have moon opposite Neptune, there's a tendency for escapism, which could have more propensity toward addiction. Mm -hmm. So whenever I see the moon but opposite Neptune... we're not allowed Neptune, to say that Vicky said that she was using coke. We're not allowed to say that. Right. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just talking astrologically. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, whenever a client of mine has a moon opposite Neptune, I encourage them to always have either an activity or even a person, if, if, if so, that grounds them. Because when the moon is opposite Neptune, what we're missing is a cable to ground us to reality. So the last thing that somebody who has the moon opposite Neptune needs is somebody who encourages escapism um, or who encourages denial. They need to take stock of things and face reality as much as possible because otherwise, you know, they could, they're the kind of person who might be in a situation that's very unhealthy for years because, you know, they convince themselves that, oh, it's fine, it's not that bad, whatever. But then at some point it has to be addressed. So yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting. And I mean, sadly, I, for Jolie, I think Jolie is kind of her, um, her daughter is sort of her, that's that solidity for her. She's kind of the voice of reason. Yeah. Very good point. I'd be interested in seeing if, if we had her houses, I could look at like her, the fourth house of family or the fifth mm -hmm. house of children and see what planets were there. I can't see that, but you're, you're right. I'm sure there is something about that relationship in the chart, probably. Absolutely. Wow. 
Uh, very interesting. And then the last thing is, she has Jupiter um, opposite Mercury. So Mercury is our communication, how we communicate. It's our, you know, our speech. It's our ideas, our language, our opinions. Jupiter expands. And when it's by opposition, there can be a tendency to maybe um, over-exaggerate, um, to, be, to go, be over the top. Right. Uh, Right, because again, Mercury is how we communicate. Jupiter is this huge magnifying glass, but it's by opposition. So it kind of goes over the top at times. So, you know, there's somebody who, again, needs to be a little bit more measured with <laughs> their words. Basically, what you're saying, all these women need to do is achieve some more equilibrium and balance in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when they do, I'm sure their contracts won't get renewed. Well, so. Exactly. <laughs> then that's when we stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And now let's go to Tamara and then we'll do the relationship between Vicky and Kelly. And, uh, and oh, then that'll God, be that. Tamara's going to be, I'm actually afraid for her. <laughs> so I got to tell you, Tamara's chart is the one that surprised me the most. Okay. Uh, but then I got to thinking about it. I'm like, okay, I can see this. So Tamara, um, is a Virgo, mm -hmm. and she has a lot of Earth in her chart, a lot of Earth, uh, but she has no air. Okay. So again, the lack of air, there's a, a, a difficult time adjusting to things and adapting and being flexible. Without a doubt, what, what mm -hmm. Tamara needs to learn is more flexibility because she has a lot of Earth, which Earth makes you very... Um, committed to things and and very much and very loyal and uh very set in your ways right but almost she's almost to the point of rigidity it sounds like absolutely yeah there's way too much earth here right. it needs to be and no air if at least she had some air but there's none um so she doesn't have unlike shannon who had a lot of water and earth tamra has a lot of earth and fire so, which is, which actually makes sense because, you know, fire is very enterprising, but with the earth, it also brings a lot of hard work and ambition. Like, you know, I think we saw like with, with the gym, right. And right, that she yeah. have with the bodybuilding that takes a lot of determination. Oh yeah. I mean, that is a lot of a discipline and that's what earth is all about. Okay. So that's very much there. Um, now she has her moon in Leo. This doesn't surprise me. And this to me is like, oh, there it is. Because the moon, again, is what do we need emotionally, right? So we talked about how for Shannon, the moon in Virgo needs order and organization and routine. Mm -hmm. Well, Leo is all about attention and being in, uh, in the spotlight <laughs> and getting applause and getting validation and being told how great they are. That's the moon in Leo. Yeah, uh, we can see that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the moon in Leo needs praise. And if they don't get external praise, that really affects them. Whereas, you know, like a moon in a moon in Aries could care less because they know that they're the best. But the moon in Leo <laughs> is like, I need to be told that I'm the best. Yeah, okay. I mean, we've seen her, even her daughter has begged her to get off the show so that they could have a relationship and she cannot do it. I don't, nope. I, she physically can't do it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, because the moon in Leo needs, needs the spotlight, craves the spotlight. And it wouldn't surprise me if um, looking at this chart, 
I think that a lot of times Tamra does and says things not because she actually believes them, but I think because she knows that it'll get her camera time. I agree. I completely agree. She wants yeah. to be sort of um, volatile just so she can get, get more screen time, 100%. Yeah, because I got to tell you, of the four charts, hers is the one that has the most stability. Okay. And the, and the, less, and the least amount of kind of, you know, um, like issues that need to be resolved or all these problems. But I think that Moon and Leo does not ever want to be like, you know, a backup singer to anybody. They want to yeah, be the big one. Yeah. And so I think she, um, she often will say things because she knows that then she gets attention. Hottest housewife <laughs> forever. <laughs> right. Like she cannot be, even when like there was, well, now there's like a bunch of young, young gals um, on the show. But even when, I think her name's Alexis, can't remember the last name, even when she oh, was, yeah. she's like, Alina. I think her tagline, yeah, with that season, she's like, still the hottest housewife. <laughs> yeah, and there was one season where it was, um, I may not be the youngest housewife, but I am the hottest. Yeah, that's right. And that's exactly <laughs> right. And I think she was doing kind of a comparison because Alexis Bellino had, had, had arrived on the scene and she was, you know, this beautiful woman. And <laughs> she just right. was like reminding us all that no, she's in fact still the queen bee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we don't forget. Well, and apart from the earth, the, the one thing here that, that it happens, that the only like really problematic aspect here, well, she has two. One is that she has her son, again, our identity, our sense of self, in that unbalanced quincunx aspect with Saturn. And when you have this, there's something about the number one thing is needing to learn needing to learn to let go because Saturn when it forms a quincunx is super rigid and Saturn says you know it has to be done this way we cannot deviate from this plan and it has to be exactly like this and the whole right. point is that it's in a quincunx meaning that she has to learn how to have a little more again flexibility um also neat also this is a, a, uh, an aspect that often shows people who work very hard but they need to learn to work smart because mm. this is a, an aspect that can just get you so consumed with making something work no matter what that you end up either wasting your time or you end up spending your time on something that is not even worth it oh my god that is so relatable yes i can hear that um, so yeah. And so that's the main thing here. And also a lot of times people who have the Saturn quincunx sun, they end up taking on too much responsibility for other people. Um, and they put other people's problems on their shoulders. So another thing this person needs to learn is that is to learn that they're not supposed to be Mr. Mrs. Fix it. And they need to understand that other people's problems are their problems and they're not supposed to fix them. And I think we see this with her son. Yes, 100%. And we even saw it with, um, the, there was a flashback, I think it was the last episode, to last season. We've just learned Eddie has um, a, a kind of a weakened heart. Um, he's had to have a few surgeries and he's struggling with that. I think he's on the mend now, but slowly. And, um, you know, Tamara was saying as she was driving him to hospital, oh, you know, I'm five years older than you. It should have been me. I wish it was me. Like almost oh, literally trying to take yes. off, yeah, that, like, that illness. Wow. Totally, yeah. I, I forgot about that. That's totally another way that that manifests. And then the other problem, okay, so 
her Mars, it's not, fortunately, it's not totally weakened. But again, Mars is our assertiveness, our ambition, our drive. So the good news is that her Mars is sextile, 60 degrees away from her Pluto and her Mercury and her Uranus. Basically, what that means is that she she is very driven and she doesn't even need anybody else to nudge her to do things. She will do it on her own. But the one thing that I would caution her about is that her Mars is conjunct, again, sitting right next to Neptune. And Neptune, again, dissolves. So when somebody right. has Mars conjunct Neptune, what can often happen is that they can very easily lose sight of their own wants and end up doing something because somebody else wants them to or because they feel guilted into it or because they end up wanting to fulfill somebody else's desires. So I would make sure, I would always caution her to make sure that whatever she's doing is truly because she wants it as opposed to to try to please somebody else. Mm. Interesting. I'm yeah, not sure. Definitely. Can you see that in Tamara? I haven't I can't think of any um examples. Well, I was wondering if sometimes like the way that she has, you know, really helped out Ryan, her son, with right. a lot of um with a lot of like financial things. Yeah, that's I true. Want, I, I wonder if part of it is that there's guilt. I mean, of course yeah. I get that it's her son and I'm sure she loves him, but I get the sense that a lot of times she's doing things out of guilt almost. Yeah, actually. And now that you say that, it sort of makes me think of her relationship with Shannon again, you know, sort of, um, yeah, that, that doing, like being there way more than really any friend should, like overstepping the boundary kind of, or her own boundaries, I mean, and really enmeshing her, herself in that relationship to her own detriment. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, and I wonder what the force was there. Yeah, and I think, though, the fact that at least her Mars is making some healthy aspects is what ultimately leads her to say, okay, enough. Because she always has that, you know, she always has that point where she says, okay, that's it, I'm done. Yeah, but um, it has to be, like, breaking point. It doesn't have, or driven by Eddie basically being like, you know, this is too much for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so that's... um. So that's Tamara's chart. So wow. now that we've discussed all four, I thought it would be fun just to focus because in astrology, you can do what's called synastry. And synastry is basically comparing two charts or putting them on top of one another and seeing how two people's planets interact with each other's. Oh, at like at the same times that they're moving or I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm just trying to understand. So if you well, physically lie them on top of each other, is that like the, that's the moment in time, the birth time. And mm -hmm. so how the planets are moving with each other throughout their lives? Not so much. So basically okay. it's like, you know, so, so Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, you can think of a, of a birth chart as a snapshot or a photograph of the sky when you were born. Okay. And then what you're doing in synastry is I'm taking a photo of person A's chart and comparing it to person B's chart and seeing, does person A's sun do something to person B's moon? If so, what does it do? And that starts to tell you about compatibility. Okay. It's basically comparing the energies of two charts and seeing how do they get along, what is challenging for them. And the truth is that, you know, with synastry, 
every chart is going to have things where two people, you know, meet in the middle and have in common. And they're going to have things that they don't have in common. Um, but there's different degrees of compatibility. With certain charts, you can see that people have a lot to learn from each other and enrich each other. And in other charts, there's a lot of propensity to bicker and to get under each other's skin. Now, I would never tell two people, and by the way, you can do this for romantic relationships, for okay, friendships. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Oh, I'm like, that's yeah, it. For- that would be, I mean, would it be good to do it with a romantic relationship or would it kind of, I don't know, make you, like for me, I can just imagine I would just kind of fall into a hole of all, even if everything was perfect and there's one little planet that's kind of fucking me up. I'm like, this is your Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very good point because I, I, I do this very carefully. So I have a few rules. So if you're going to do this with a romantic partner, number one, you have to be dating for a this is my rules. This is not sure. all of astrology. This is my rules. You have to be together for at least a year. And I say that because if, if, if you meet somebody and a month in you do this reading, you are going to already be start projecting things from the reading to the other person. So Totally. Yeah. So to prevent that, I want people to be together for a year and then they can come to me once they've known each other. And then what I like to do is talk about how they can improve the relationship based on the synastry. So maybe, you know, a thing where you might feel that this person doesn't listen to you, but it's not they don't listen to you, it's that their their Mercury is in Gemini. So whenever they're listening, they're going to be doing something else. And because you have your Mercury in Scorpio that wants full attention, you're thinking you're being ignored, but you're not. So it's about helping people understand each other. Oh my God, that sounds, I mean, I have been single for four years, but I wish I had known you back then before my relationship (laughs) crumbled into a thousand pieces, because honestly, I think that this would have been very useful for me. (laughs) And I'll call you in a year's time when I met my soulmate. (laughs) Yeah, please do. Well, and to be honest too, you know, there's that fine line between you want to help people to make it as good as possible, but at the same time... Um, you also want to respect when when the differences are just way too big to handle. So yeah. it's not about making somebody stay in a relationship that is not healthy, but it's about also recognizing, well, here's what you can each do to meet in the middle. But if that's too difficult for either of you, then you would be better off not being together. So again, that's where that the free will comes in. I would never tell somebody, you have to stay together or you have to break up. Right. Yeah. Okay. But you, you know. just guide them. <laughs> you can't lead, make a horse drink, but you can uh, guide in the right direction, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, so case in point, in the case of Vicky and Kelly's sinistry, mm-hmm. and again, you can do it for friends, for coworkers, for family members. It's not just romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about compatibility. But in their case, as friends, I would definitely let them know that they um it's a very explosive combative friendship and they um would not i would never recommend that vicky and kelly for example travel together because (laughs) their charts are just it's way too combative so let me tell you a few things that are happening in these charts so kelly's son and vicky's son are opposing each other that already tells you what's going on here. Because again, the sun is our identity, our ego, our sense of self. So when your son is opposite my son, 
the thing there is that on one hand, it, it pulls us together. We're fascinated by each other. And there are certain things that you compliment me on and I compliment you. But this is ultimately a very antagonistic um, aspect that makes it so that we can very easily push each other's buttons and get under each other's skin. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, that you know, checks if, out. Totally. If your son doesn't do anything to somebody else's son, you just don't really care about them. Even if you don't like them, but you just don't even think about them, you don't care about them, you could care, you could care less. Right. You could care less. Um, oh, I'm not sure what that is. I always say, I think I always say couldn't care less, and my brother's like, could, you could care less. <laughs> no, it's opposite. You couldn't care less because you care so little that you possibly, there's no way you could even care less. Oh, yeah, that's right. Couldn't care less. Yeah, I must yeah. always say could then. I get my hair <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so already whenever I see in the sinistry sun opposite sun, I know there's a capacity here to get under each other's skin and be a little antagonistic. Then, though, you have Kelly's Pluto opposing Vicky's sun. This is the epitome of there's always power struggles. And usually the Pluto person is the one who has the upper hand, in this case, Kelly. Okay. Um, so the Pluto person, um, for one thing, is very magnetic. So I feel maybe like when, when Vicky first met Kelly, maybe she was very drawn to Kelly and saw qualities in her that she thought were really awesome and really cool. But then as the relationship went on, Kelly started to want to control and have the control a lot of, a lot of the time. Right. And if she didn't have it, she would kind of snap. So there's that dynamic. Um, then we have Kelly's Mars opposing Vicky's moon. What this means is that um, th there's a very primal... Kelly brings out a very primal side of Vicky. Um, that's so good. That's such a good word, and it's so true. Right? Yes. Yeah. Because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicky has a Sagittarius moon, which usually the Sagittarius moon is very gets along with others very well, and even if they have a something coming up, they end up making up with people. But when somebody's Mars opposes your moon, you can think of it as like Kelly is able to bring out that primitive Mars side of Vicky and get her to kind of override any kind of filter and just <laughs> go from zero to a hundred. Oh my gosh. That is so good. I don't know if you, um, you caught this last season. So Kelly and Vicky are in this huge um, feud at the moment because at the reunion last year, uh, I think Vicky, I can't remember who said who, who said what first, but it, Kelly was basically um, calling Vicky a pig or pig face or something like that, which is the Vicky's um, Achilles heel. And, right. and Vicky then accused Kelly of doing cocaine and that she, you know, knew the people she'd done it with and all this stuff. And so they are both just kind of like poking at each other's real, real, in, like literally yep. the weakest points. Um, and it's explosive at the moment. So I can, comp and I mean, you would think for me, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, well, I mean, accusing a mother of a young child who's in the public eye of being a coke addict is a lot worse than calling someone pig face. But 
we know with Vicky, that is like, she's so self-conscious, she's so insecure, and that is one particular thing that she just can't, you know, that's really, really hurt her and damaged her in the past. So it's like, you know, poking the wound, basically. That it, she, and Kelly knew what she was doing, saying that particular totally. thing. She could have said anything else. So yes, I think um, you're 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 definitely on the right track with those two. Yeah, they, there's a lot in this in, in their sinistry. And then, for example, Kelly's Neptune squares Vicky's Mars. Usually, what that means is that Vicky, the Mars person, Vicky, um, wants wants something more concrete or wants wants the answers. And I think that Vicky finds Kelly to be kind of too elusive and mm. there's there's some kind of trust issue that I think Vicky feels more more towards Kelly. That Vicky maybe feels that Kelly is hiding things or that there's something that's not being addressed. And so that's another, I think, point of contention where I think Kelly sometimes feels that Vicky wants, uh, like demands too much of her and kind of is uh, kind of like, acting like a mother, you know, like as if she yeah. has to answer to her. And that There's exact that. same, that exact situation happened in the last episode. I mean, Vicky rocks up to a, a party, I think it was at Tamara's house, and um, is basically trying to follow Kelly around to have a conversation. And Kelly just mm-hmm. doesn't want to engage. She would rather just let it go, you know, yep. going back to her chat from earlier. You know, she wants to move on and Vicky can't let it go. Right. Yeah. Again, you see like all these combative aspects. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the most problematic aspect, which again, you know, can this be worked on? Yes. But with this kind of sinistry, if you really want to maintain a relationship or a friendship, both people need to be putting a lot of effort. And right. I don't know if, you know, other one, either one wants to because um, Vicky's Mercury squares Kelly's Mars. And whenever you have a Mercury Mars square between two people, that is super combative, uh, super combative, and it intensifies as time goes on. So what usually starts off as a person just slightly getting on your nerves and may they do this, with time builds up to the point where everything that person does ends up getting on your nerves. Um, so this is something where like, if they really wanted to make this work, they would have to, again, there's a friendship that would be better if they really had a lot of time apart from each other and maybe just saw each other like once every two weeks for (laughs) lunch that's as far as and then they could really bring out the healthier sides of the relationship but this kind of friendship when there's a lot of time being spent together it goes way off the rails because they can't help but just uh bicker with each other constantly Wow. So if this was a romantic relationship, you would be suggesting couples counseling long term. <laughs> yeah. And probably yeah. If, if they came to see me after a year of being together, they would be like at the last straw. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is, I think, what we're seeing with these two ladies at the moment. I mean, it's like a, a major reason, I'm sure, that Vicky has decided to step back. I'm saying decided like um, like it wasn't Andy Cohen's <laughs> idea, but I don't know. But, you know, maybe right. this is helpful. Maybe this is the time apart that they need. Yeah, if anything, I think, you know, it, that it might actually help them. But definitely, uh, you know, Vicky chasing Kelly around is <laughs> totally indicative of this chart where Kelly is Neptune that's like, I want to slither away and... I want to not talk about it. And Vicky is demanding things. 
And that dynamic is only going to keep repeating also based on their own charts. You know, yeah. uh, they both have very um, Pluto heavy charts. So for both of them, control is so important. that that's the other thing too. Neither one is ever going to yield, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. And that's certainly what it looks like at the moment. So, hey, buckle in listeners for a fun season. <laughs> yes. Sure. Now we know what um what the future holds, and it is bleak. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anything, though, you know, if I was a producer, I would be oh, wanting like the worst possible. TV. Yeah. It's, it's right. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so the producers must be happy. Next time I want to cast a reality show, I'll be hiring you to read charts first. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I can definitely tell you. You know, the the most explosive. Uh, Combinations, combinations for sure <laughs> <laughs> oh this has been so amazing um like a lot more m- mind-blowing and aha moments than I ever anticipated in I mean my own my own life um I knew we were going to rip into these ladies and get down and dirty but I feel like I've you know just been for a, a 5k run or something I'm like <laughs> too much self Discovery for one day. <laughs> yeah, you know, usually I always tell my clients to um, to record a reading because the average reading I do is about an hour and a half. Right. Um, and it's a lot of information. And usually my, you know, anybody who I read for, they'll listen to it a few times as, as time goes on because it's like information overload. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. Lot. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do a reading with you in the near future because that was just amazing. And look, I'm not going to lie, I'm terrified of what I may discover. But mm. I think it's a necessity at this, <laughs> this juncture in my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people have told me that they find readings to be very helpful and just therapeutic. Because a lot of times, too, when people are going through really difficult times in their life, if they come to me and they understand that there's maybe just a transit they're going through that's lasting 18 months, it also lets them know that, you know, no, they're not going crazy. They're not losing their mind. It's just part of a process. So for a lot of people, it can be very helpful and it can help um, calm them down and And there's an ending inside Mm -hmm. or, you know, a change, a change inside. Like if you, if you're struggling and you think, you know, when you're in it, a lot of the times you feel like, oh, this is going to last forever or when can, how long can this po- I possibly put up with this? Anytime you have a time limit on something, even if it is a couple of years, you're like, okay, I can, I can achieve that. You know, it's a lot. It does put peace of mind, I think. Yeah. And also, like I was saying earlier, whenever I do a reading, I try to be prescriptive. So if there is something heavy going on, I give you information on how to work with the transit. So for example, if you're going through a very heavy Pluto transit, what you're supposed to be doing is embracing change. And if you try to fight change, that transit will feel a hundred times harder. So if somebody's going through that, I let them know that, you know, if, if things are changing, don't try to, don't try to hold on to them, let them go. That's what you're supposed to learn. So there's always that element too of empowering you to kind of go with the cosmic flow. And does a transit or any of these kinds of planetary changes, I don't know the vocabulary, but does that always last the same amount of time for each person or it does it just depend on their chart? It depends a little bit on your chart, but usually, um, for example, the, the transits of Pluto last about, they're the longest, about two years. 
Uh, those, those are the most transformative. Uh, yeah. Neptune and Uranus about a year, a year and a half. So those are usually the, the, the biggies. Um, now, sometimes these planets, it's known as retrograde. They move backwards. So sometimes, depending on your own chart, a transit might last maybe two and a half years and somebody else it might last a little under two years. So there's a little bit right. of that. But like a Pluto bit. transit will never be done in 30 days. Right. Okay. I'm pretty sure the last four years of my life, my Pluto's been in trance. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Pluto. Can't you move a little faster? <laughs> oh, but you got to embrace it. That's, that's, that's See, the I point. I didn't know. I could have... <laughs> could have gone with the flow a lot more, which is so not something I'm good at, but <laughs> I could have tried. <laughs> oh, God. Well, thank you so much. This has just been absolutely amazing, fascinating, and I'll be listening to this a few times over as well. So we can find you on Instagram, Astrology with Andy, and you have a website as well, don't you? Yes, astrologywithandy.com, um, and I offer a variety of readings. Uh, we do them through, I do them all through Skype or Zoom. So I have clients from many different countries. So I don't, you don't have to be in Vegas by any means to do a reading with me. That's amazing. Well, I mean, I can't wait to get started on mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward so to much. it. Oh, this has of just course. been awesome. I look forward to talking to you again very soon. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me.